Welcome to brand new podcast, Chronic Illness and Me, hosted by me, Holly Fleet, better known as Stoma Babe. On the podcast each week, I will speak with a public figure or social media influencer on how they live their lives with a chronic illness. There's no subjects I won't cover, from diarrhea to depression. No topic is off limits when you're in the hot seat with me. I hope you enjoy the show and keep your questions coming in over on Instagram. You can find the podcast page at chronic illness underscore and me. This week, we have Angarid Paget Jones on the podcast, whose tweet went viral as she called out budget hotel chain Premier Inn after they kicked her out of her room unceremoniously in the middle of the night. Angarid has cerebral palsy and went blind a few years back following an incident that caused a brain injury. She now relies on her trusty guide dog and companion, Tudor, to make trips out of the house. I kind of wanted to just start by you explaining a little bit about your condition and kind of how how your blindness and everything, how it began and everything like that. Yeah, so I have a um, cerebral palsy. I was born with it. Um, I've always had slight sight issues, but mm-hmm. when I turned 21, I got into a very serious accident and it caused brain damage and it damaged the nerves in my eyes. Oh, so wow. I've been losing my sight since then. So now you've uh, completely blind or partially blind? Um, so I'm registered as fully blind, severely sight impaired, but I have a little bit of useful vision. But oh. it depends on the day how much that is. And so like, how does that affect your kind of day-to-day life with your cerebral palsy and your with your sight? It's a balance. It's a bit of an issue. Um, I can't see the ground. Yeah. I can't see more than half a foot in front of me. <laughs> so, you- yeah, it just depends. <laughs> And you have your dog as well. And how does your dog help you in terms of leaving the house and doing day-to-day activities? Yes. Literally the only way I can get outside properly, independently. Oh, wow. And how, long, to do that. how long have you had um, Tudor for? That's your... Four years. Oh, okay. So before that, yeah. how did you manage without having a dog? So I was... Use a white cane, my the white stick. Um but I wasn't very confident with it. So before Tudor, I literally didn't leave my house. Oh, wow. So Tudor's kind of giving you a new lease of life that you're able to go and feel more confident. Yeah, definitely. He he is my confidence. (laughs) And how do you feel? Obviously, you've mentioned before, I've seen your Twitter about people going up to the dog. How does that affect the dog when it's trying to help you out in your daily life? Well, distracting a guide dog is extremely dangerous. They have a job to do. Um, and if they don't alert me to the curb or that there's a car coming and you've called my dog, that could be life-changing. That could kill me. So I don't think people realise that. No, that's something that I've, obviously, because, you know, when people think of dogs, they think of cuddly, you know, oh, I want to be... But your dog is not a pet. It is an actual service animal that's literally... Yeah, he's got a job to do and he does it very well. He gets all the love in the world at home. He gets a lot of off-duty play. So he doesn't need a stranger's attention. <laughs> I know. And yet we're all conditioned to think that when we see dogs, we have to go over there. But yeah, they do have a job to do. And obviously, yeah. recently you've spoken about an experience where you were staying in a hotel and they didn't believe that the dog was your service dog, right? Yeah, and they were given all the proof 
like I've got his harness, which is provided by the charity guide dogs, which you cannot buy anywhere. They make them to fit the dog. Um, he had his tag on his collar, the lead, which has a flash on it that says guide dog. Um, and I carry an ADUK book, which is an assistance dog UK yellow book. And not every guide dog or assistance dog handler will have that. Only certain charities get that provided for them. And they were presented with that and they claimed that anyone could buy it online. What? Yeah. So they didn't believe my dog was a real assistance dog. And because they said I didn't look blind. So, yeah. That's, I can't believe that. Honestly, that's just shocking. Actually shocking behavior that you would ever assume that somebody would be making that up. I mean, I would have got it at like the checking point and they wanted to check. I would have been like, fair enough. Here's my ID. But they did this at 10 o'clock at night. So they literally came into your room at 10 o'clock at night and were like, you have to leave. Yeah, because they I broke their policy for having a dog in the room, which was an assistance dog, which in their policy, which I posted on Twitter, it says no dogs except for assistance dogs. And they didn't know what an assistance dog was. That's, I mean, was it just like one person or was it a few people from like the management that kind of spoke to you about it? I believe it was two people, but at no point did they identify themselves yeah. who they were. They just came in and then security came as well. And it was all very confusing. I was a person well, can't see. Yeah, exactly. Because of your sight, obviously, you wouldn't have been able to see who was actually. I mean, that would have, were you not terrified? Like, I'd be, you know, even with full sight, someone, uh, someone coming into your room and in your space, it's very scary. Yeah. It was very scary, and it was more scary to the point that I wasn't fully dressed at the time. Oh, my God. That's terrible. They didn't even knock. They just literally opened the door and came in. Well, they knocked at first, and I answered the door um, using the door as modesty because I was just in a T-shirt. Um, and they asked, they didn't even tell me who they were. They were just demanding proof of my guide dog. And I said, come back with your manager because mm. you haven't told me who you are. Yeah. 10 o'clock at night and I closed the door um seconds after that they used the master key to barge in yeah wow and so kind of since so so you had to leave the hotel I guess at that point yeah we did um we left we went to um, my partner's parents' house, but it's just lucky that they lived close by because it was bonfire night as well with a dog. So that was even more scary. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, if you're throwing somebody out of their room, like, where do you expect them to, to go? That's so dangerous. That's what made it the scariest part for me is if my partner wasn't with me, it made me realise quite how vulnerable my disability could make me. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm sure you've probably thought about that before as well in like in life of how your disability can make you feel probably at times a feel a bit more vulnerable than, you know. Yeah, cool. but it would have been dark in a place I don't know on bonfire mm. night. Yeah, it's really scary. It's to think about. Yeah, it's really, really scary to think about. And since then, obviously, I mean, I saw that they put a statement on Twitter. Have they got like in contact with you personally? You know, like what's been the conversation? So they have now since refunded the room, which ironically went to my partner, not me. <laughs> oh god. Um the they have um they've been in touch with my legal team to say they've finished their internal investigation, but they haven't actually told us the result of it yet. Yeah, We're still waiting. <laughs> but, yeah. 
Um, they have read a statement to the BBC saying that they get it wrong sometimes. In my in Harrod and Tudor's case, it went badly wrong. Um, so they have admitted fault now, but they haven't published that online. <laughs> I mean, it just blows my mind. You showed them all of that documentation and they still felt that they had to take those steps. It's just... I think Wi-Fi's gone. Oh, can you can you hear me now? Am I there? Oh, let me see. Yeah. Can you can you see me? Yeah, it just slowed down a moment then. <laughs> oh, no worries. Sorry, it's just where I am. The internet is not great. But yeah, I'm just really honestly, just really, yeah, it's upsetting to see that that's happening to disabled people, that they're not being being believed. Um, it's just Yeah. And it was the bullying as well. Like as we were leaving the um hotel you could hear them say like she's not really blind that's a golden retriever they use labradors stuff like that no oh my god yeah. she's stereotyping I mean what do honestly what do people what do you think people think blind people actually look like is that you know like that I don't know that there is no look to somebody blind I mean 90 I think it's like 93 percent you have to look up the exact figure 93 percent of people registered blind can see something yeah, I think as well, people assume that if you're blind, your eyes maybe would be closed. For yeah, or I'd have sunglasses on in the middle of the night. Like, what do they want? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just so awful. But I'm really glad to hear that you've got a partner who's super supportive. How how long have you guys been together? Um, About two and a half years, nearly three. Oh, that's lovely. And is yeah. he is he fully sighted? Yeah, he is. And you guys, how did you how did you meet? Like how? Because obviously, when you think of any kind of disability, obviously the thought of dating or meeting somebody is quite. It feels quite, I don't know, like nerve wracking, right? Yeah, I was just open from the very beginning. You know, photos with the guide dog. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely. So, did you meet like in person, or was it like an app? How did you guys kind of connect? I was through an through an app at first, but yeah, we met in person. Oh, that's amazing. Once the pandemic ended a little bit. <laughs> oh, and then he kind of, I guess he helps you a lot as well as your dog as well. Like, you know, if he's around, he'll go out of his way to. Yeah, he does. He helps a lot. And has he kind of, obviously, through day, you realised, obviously, what you the difficulties and things that you face, obviously, day to day with certain things, obviously, like this incident, for instance, how hard it is? I don't think he'd ever witnessed one that bad before. Like we usually get ones that just like no dogs in here or something, but yeah, this one was particularly bad. So you've never had anything like this. This is literally probably the first time you've had a real experience of this kind of like disbelief from a company. Yeah, I've never been not believed before. <laughs> that that was a new one. Like I get you get stupid questions online, like if you're blind, how can you type? And it's like, well, I learned to touch type like everyone else did. <laughs> Yeah, that is the thing though um, so these days is there's obviously is there quite a few different technologies that can help you to use that um like phones and things I mean yeah. they have all kinds don't they yeah there's voiceover I mean the keyboards don't move the keys are generally in the same place yeah. um I had one question before asking me if you can't see how do you know where the bathroom is and I'm like well the toilet doesn't move <laughs> it's in the same place it's just crazy how people think that if somebody has a slight difference to themselves that they're going to be so you know that everything is ch changes but actually it doesn't really change that much only certain adaptations 
yeah we need some adaptations and yeah I need my dog when I go outside I use voiceover or zoom tech or there's different apps to help me do different things but I mean I work full-time I campaign for guide dogs I wow advocate for disability rights so you know there's a lot we can still do and there's a disabled people often have to do it in a different way that actually takes more out of us to do so we generally work harder yeah I can only imagine what what's your job what do you do so I'm a data analyst oh wow that's amazing so what does that involve um so I work in the marketing sector but I analyze data fixed problems with the data things like that and is that something that you've always is that the industry that you've always been in um marketing and journalism and then I fell into being an analyst <laughs> it's amazing though because you know you're doing all these incredible things and it's just proving the the point that obviously having a disability doesn't hold you back from you know living your life having a job and and doing things that people expect that you can't yeah you just learn to adapt and I think a lot of able-bodied people don't realize how adaptable you can be until they get to that point because yeah. everyone will become disabled eventually whether it's through age and accident mm. that's so true yeah. I've never thought about that but it's true like my grandparents you know I'm sure like now they're in their 80s and they struggle to get about stuff so you're right like for all of us at some point we'll face disability yeah and I think that's a hard pill to swallow for too many people I know because people do think that they're going to be always healthy always able and just they can't imagine what it would be like yeah that's how I often wonder with people who live in like the middle of nowhere and they drive I'm like what's going to happen when you're like 80 and your eyesight goes and you can't drive anymore and you live in the middle of nowhere yeah I know (laughs) it's like if you ever needed like assistance at all I always wonder like you know if you need an ambulance or something like that like how do they get out there to you know (laughs) I've often wondered that (laughs) so yeah I don't I think a lot of people don't realize that disability is only one slip away or one birthday (laughs) yeah oh my god (laughs) such a scary thought but for me like I have cerebral palsy I'm very lucky I can walk and talk there's not there's like my limbs are just a bit flimsy but my disability properly started after an accident and that kind of woke me up to everyone is one fall away because I was one fall away and what kind of accident was it that you were in I fell eight stories oh my goodness wow down like downstairs yeah, it was in the middle of a stairwell. Oh, and that was that because of your because of your sight or no, there was um uh crowd of people and there was some pushing and the banister gave way. No way. Oh yeah. wow. So and then so then that happened, and then I guess you were in hospital for a while after that incident. Yeah, I was in hospital for quite a while after that. Um I had to relearn how to do things. Obviously, there was a lot of breaks and bones and cuts, and I didn't remember anything. It caused brain damage. So, oh wow! So you did yeah. you kind of forgot just general things or just like important important names of people or what was the kind of memory loss like? Obviously, I don't remember all that much about that time. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. I guess when you go through like a trauma tra- traumatic experience, you know, it's really hard to like remember exactly kind of everything yeah I know what happened from like notes and things like that and like from after appointments and visits I go to to my neurologist and things like that but I don't kind of 
kind of affected your brain function yeah like short-term memory is terrible like unless people remind me of things I'm not going to remember yeah and I imagine that was was that quite a big adjustment then after the fall to kind of have to you know get back to building yourself up again it was but the biggest adjustment came when my sight went because that happened like a year after and how did you feel about that that was really difficult, actually. I don't think people realise how difficult it is to lose one of your major senses. Like, you ha- can't go outside anymore because you can hear all these sounds, but you don't know where they're coming from. If you miss a curb, you're going to hurt yourself really badly. I can only imagine, honestly, what that must be like, especially because, obviously, usually the people that I've spoken to before, they've kind of, from birth, have been blind. But I think, you know, if you've gone from having sight to then suddenly, as you get older, not being able to see it must be a massive, yeah, a massive shock. Yeah, I think losing my driving license was the worst one. Like that yeah. sense of freedom was like, okay, I can't do that anymore. Yeah, you don't even think about that, do you? Like, yeah, just the fact that obviously yeah. being able to can't drive a car anymore. But, yeah, like it's been a long time now. It's been about nine years this December, but. Um, it's still like when you're waiting for the bus in the cold and the rain, you're like, I used to be able to drive. Yeah, that's honestly, I think one day maybe. I mean, I know, for instance, right now they've got these, um, what are they? They're, they're developing the cars where you're not even going to have to touch the steering wheel. Like they'll they'll self-drive, you know, so maybe in the future they will have that technology where you could be able to be back in a car again. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I hate waiting for the bus. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody hit the bus are oh, in the winter. It's cold, it's raining. There's nothing worse than waiting for the bus. The trains are always late. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and there's always problems with the trains, especially at the moment. Like, I don't know about you, but in England, they're always on strike or it seems yeah, like there's never cool. anything working. Oh, only the little trains are running. And the big ones that are faster than the smaller ones are never running. <laughs> So when you go when you're going out and about, do you find that most places that you go to are quite accessible? Or, you know, because a lot of places, even when I've been and I have a disability, I, I sometimes, you know, for instance, the disabled toilet might be locked, or, you know, like some places are not that accessible. Yeah. Um, I've never had major problems with like my guide dog. I get a few like staff members being like, your dog can't come in here, and then you explain it to guide dog and it's all over, you know, hmm. problem solved. But yeah, like you said, I've had disabled toilets not be big enough for me and my guide dog, let alone a wheelchair getting in there. Um, or they keep their cleaning supplies in it. And it's like, oh. that's not right. What are you doing? That winds me up. That's so annoying when they use the t- disabled toilet mm. as a, as a uh, like a storage room. It's actually a really important facility. Yeah, it's, it's important. And it's not just wheelchair users who need disabled toilets. Like my dog doesn't fit in a regular store. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's another thing as well. Just things you don't even think about. And, and I've seen as well a lot of th- you know people posting about like going on planes, for instance, and the difficulties of tra- of traveling, being able to go abroad. Is that something you've been able to do since your accident? Well, since yeah, I've been abroad quite a lot, but since Brexit, they've actually made it very difficult to travel with my guide dog now. Really, I didn't know that. How? What, yeah. So how it used come? to be before you used to just have to get a pet passport. You had to have a vaccine once every like four or five years, something like that. it could be less, but it wasn't that often to go. And when you 
before you returned to the UK, you had to get him wormed and signed by a vet. That was yeah. that was kind of it. But now you need different visas, which cost a fortune. And if you're not tra- if you're only traveling for a week, it's just not worth it. You've got to get your dog injected every time you travel, mm-hmm. and that's not fair on the dog if you're traveling two, three times a year. That's so unfair. So we tend to stay in the UK when I holiday now. <laughs> That's really upsetting because obviously that's really limiting you to what you can do. And it's obviously it's not your fault at all that you have to have the dog. It's literally your lifeline and they're, they're making it so difficult or expensive. And and that's another thing as well. When people have illnesses and such, a lot of the time they're not able to work and earn money. So obviously they can't afford to do things like that. And even working disabled people earn on average 18% less than a non-disabled person. So if you add that to the whole gender pay gap, I think disabled women end up earning something like 23% less so true it's it's absolutely it's just a not it's a nightmare it's something that I, I feel so passionately about is about how the inequality and in payment between obviously healthy people and disabled people is just growing and we have much and also more expensive um lifestyles because of the doctor appointments the medicines the, the yeah. fuel costs, everything I have to pay for taxis where public transport isn't available or it's too far for my, me and my dog to work. And are you able um, to funding for, towards that? or? Um, so I get um, the personal independence yeah. payment. But obviously, as a blind person, I have to pay for equipment yeah. that I need as well. So it just doesn't cover everything. It's a good help. I'm not complaining about it, but it's, mm. it doesn't cover what people think it does. Because, I mean, you could buy a microwave for like 50, 60 pounds, but a talking microwave for me is about four, five hundred pounds. Wow. Oh, my God. I didn't know. That's four, five foot. That's, that's mad. You can just pour a cup of tea from the kettle. Brian needs a device to go on the cup that beeps when it reaches a certain level in the cup so I don't burn myself. And that costs about 30 pounds. So, yeah, the costs people don't think about. And that, yeah, and honestly, there was somebody I, I think the other day who messaged me on Twitter when I was talking about this, and they said, "Oh, I don't see what's so expensive about having a disability." And I was like, "How can you not see? Like, there's so many costs. It's so expensive." I mean, people can drive, and yes, that is a cost. But then it costs me some. It doesn't cost them thirteen to fifteen pound a day just in train fare. Doesn't cost them twenty to thirty pound a day in taxi fare. <laughs> And even just for you having to feed uh, feed Tudor as well, like food, pet, pet, the cost of having a pet and uh, are expensive. Luckily, guide dogs cover the costs of like vet oh. bills and stuff like that. But yeah, like, he comes with costs too. I mean, he has his, his treats and it's like just being a pet owner, you mm. know, you buy your dog things. That does come at a cost. Um, his grooming, for example, costs me about £80 a month. Oh my gosh, wow. He is a very fluffy golden retriever. And if you don't keep on top of it, there'll be hair everywhere. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing worse than when they get like knots and stuff and you can't get them out. Yeah. He's got to be brushed daily by me. And then I got to use products to spray him down with. So that's a cost. And then it's 60 pounds a month to send him to the groomer once a month to de-shed him. It's just mad. Honestly, I feel like the costs are, you know, are never ending, especially those like yourselves who have a a, a physical type of disability that affects their, their physicality it's um yeah the costs are just so extreme they are and like they say like gas and electric is going up but food prices are going up and with the cost of everything else we've got to pay for going up 
it's hitting us more than average. And those of us who are disabled and work obviously don't qualify for benefits. So, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. And like, how did you, when you were applying for jobs, did you find it, you know, that it was quite straightforward to be able to get a job or did you find it more difficult? Because a lot of people messaged me saying they find it really hard to find a job when they've had a lot of illness. It is. It's extremely difficult. Like for me, I get through to like final stage of an interview. I show up in person with my guide dog and then I suddenly didn't get a job to someone who's less qualified than me. No. So it's literally straight up discrimination almost because of that. Yeah, but they'll say like, oh, we didn't think you were the right fit or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think I, there's a new story somewhere, I'm sure you'd be able to find it, of when I was applying for a job during the pandemic. Um, I think I applied for nearly 2,000 jobs. And I got like two two offers in the end. But yeah, that was it. But it's really upsetting because I actually do find that people with disabilities, despite everything that's going on, they're actually extremely hardworking because they value they really value having a job because they know what it's like to not be able to work. Yeah. And a lot of us, you know, we've been through university, we've got the master's degrees. Yeah. Many of us have got higher degrees than that. So to be yeah. just turned down because of a disability is quite disheartening yeah I, and, that, and that's a really important point that you said I think as well there is a perception that if you have a disability it's like you're you're not educated or you've not got the certain qualifications but it's that's ridiculous because you know like yourself you know people have got really great degrees and have done a lot of training yeah I think that is the big misconception it's kind of this thing that people just think that you, uh, like that if you have disability, you're just at home all the time and you don't go and do do things. No, we, we're all quite active. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you like have any hobbies like in your free time when you're not working? Is there anything that you enjoy, enjoy doing? Uh, yeah, so I do powerlifting. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. OK, <laughs> that's amazing. How did you get into doing that? Um. It was just after I qualified with my guide dog, I had put on quite a lot of weight during the time of losing my sight and like not going outside anymore. And I was like, that's it. I've had enough. And I just went to my gym, got a personal trainer and they were like, you're actually really strong. And we just went from there. That's amazing. And how, and, and how do you find that when you're in the gym with your, with your guide dog as well is how does that kind of. Um, because I use a personal trainer because I'm not able to like load the weights myself yeah. and see the numbers on the weights. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not that bad. And the people who do try to come over, my personal trainer is like, no, grow up. That's not yours. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. So they act as like that. Or most people, if I'm there just warming up by myself when I'm waiting for my trainer, they're like, oh, it's just the guide dog. He's been here a thousand times. Bored now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I guess if you're going to the same place all the time, people, that's, that's what I do like about gyms. It's kind of like a community. You you meet, you see the same people and you and you kind of get to know each other if you're going a lot. Yeah. And like you get, obviously, being a woman at the gym, you get those men that come up and try to use your equipment while you're using it. But with your dog there, they don't even try. <laughs> yeah, that's the best thing. You've got the dog there. So you've got no guys that will be coming over and trying to touch your things. Yeah, so, and I don't get how many sets you're going to do till you're done. I just get, oh, she's using it, leave it. <laughs> I guess doing powerlifting, does that give you a sense of, like, real kind of confidence? And, you know, because you can feel really strong when you're lifting weights and it makes you kind of feel as though, you know, you are a strong person. 
Yeah, well, I started it because I have this irrational fear that something is going to go wrong with my guide dog and I'm not going to be able to carry him. <laughs> so that's why I started. <laughs> Just, yeah, and, and I he's like quite so, heavy. Yeah, he's like 34 kilos, so he's not that heavy. And then, yeah, now I can power lift over 180. So Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're so strong. I could never in a million years lift anything that heavy. I think you could. You just got to practice. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely amazing. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And I hope you have a lovely rest of the day. 